sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. He chases me into the bathroom where I slam the door on him and I lock the door while he is standing on the other side of this door screaming at me. I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. On today's episode of Strictly Stalking, we're speaking with Sam, who was stalked by her ex-boyfriend. After high school, Sam met a soldier who was a few years older than her, and when she moved away, they continued their long-distance relationship. While they were together, he monitored everything she did, insisted on video chats throughout the day, constant texting, and accused her of cheating. Soon, Sam's ex gained access to all her social media and bank accounts. When her family realized the relationship was toxic, they encouraged the breakup, which only escalated his stalking. Sam, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's a it's a privilege. Can we chat about some of the issues that you faced early in your life? I had a real tumultuous upbringing. I'm a child of divorce and I'm also a military brat. That's how I ended up meeting my stalker was because I was living on a military base at the time that we crossed paths. My birth parents had a very, very bitter divorce and a custody dispute that went on probably a decade coming out the other end of it, I was living with my mother full-time. My mother, who was a classic narcissist and was untreated bipolar and suffered some substance abuse issues for more years of my life than I knew at the time. I mean, it had a huge impact on me in a number of ways. Most namely, it really impacted how I saw love and relationships, romantic and not. Her second marriage to my stepdad, who took us overseas, was also very abusive, very, very controlling. So I was uh, pretty desensitized to that early on. And that didn't really change for me until I came back from living in that household for many years. And I didn't start to learn about healthy relationships until I was in college and living with my dad and my stepmom. Tell us about meeting your stalker. So it was in the fall of 2016, and I had just graduated from high school that summer. As I said, my mother and my stepdad were really abusive, and my dad and my stepmom at that time weren't really able to help me, weren't able to protect me. I hadn't reconnected with them yet. But at the time, my life was really starting to look up. I'd seen a light at the end of the tunnel. I graduated a year early from high school. 
I had gotten accepted into the college of my choice. It was actually my dad's alma mater, which was my dream to go to the same college as my dad. And after years of uninterrupted abuse and neglect on this tiny island on an even smaller military base, I was preparing to return stateside and move back in with my dad and my stepmom and my baby sister. And life was life was looking up for me. We actually met at the gym a few weeks before I was scheduled to fly back stateside. I'm not even kidding you. It wasn't even a full three weeks before I was supposed to go back. Kind of a classic. He approached me. He asked for my number and we went on a date. Honestly, I I thought it was just going to be like a pre-college fling. You know, I was partying a lot. I was trying to get in all the fun that I could before I went back stateside. And uh, in the few weeks before I left, somehow, you know, I or at least I thought I fell for him and I thought he had fallen in love with me. And by the time I did fly back to the States, I was in a long distance relationship. Walk us through those three weeks. How did things go from zero to 100 so quickly? Well, when I first met him, you know, again, I was coming out of my first abusive relationship, which was my mother. And I was looking for love and validation anywhere I could find it. So it's it's very likely that that played a big role in why I got attached to him as quickly as he did. And also, you know, first impressions, he was the dream guy. You know, he was good looking. He was charming. I thought he was the perfect boyfriend. You know, all of the things that you hear women complain about their boyfriends. Oh, he doesn't take me out. He doesn't spoil me. He doesn't compliment me enough. I didn't have any of those complaints. I had nothing to complain about him in the beginning, you know, especially because he just seemed so smitten with me. I was basking in what I saw as unconditional love for the first time. And so many years after so many years of fighting, yelling, screaming, crying, this was peaceful and unconditional and perfect. Perfect. That was the word that always would come up. It's it's perfect. He was about six years older than me, which is important because I was 17 when we met. So he was 23. He knew how old I was when we got together. And in retrospect, the fact that that didn't bother him is was a major red flag. He was in the army. What he did in the army, I couldn't tell you. He was always very secretive about it. Something about it being classified. I really think he just didn't want me to know what he was actually up to on his end of things. You know, he had to know everything about me, but he was very vague about what I could know about him. When you left after the three weeks, how did he take it? He was okay with it initially, you know, in the very, very beginning. I don't remember if I did even tell him when I first met him that, hey, I'm I'm getting out of here in a few weeks. But I know it did come out pretty quickly and he seemed he seemed very calm about it at the time. But the day that I did leave, there was a little bit of a it was a sad parting, you know, he had even at one point suggested that maybe I could just stay on the island and, and go to college at the local community college so I could stay with him. But when I told him that that wasn't really an option for me because of my situation at home, he seemed okay with it at the beginning. 
And that was the thing. He was in the very beginning, he was not controlling, maybe a little protective, but he wasn't controlling. Looking back, do you remember any red flags in those first couple of weeks? In the first couple of weeks, actually, yeah. After thinking about it for a while, I do remember that right before I had met him, there had been another guy who I had briefly spent some time with. You know, we didn't date exclusively or anything, but we did date. And he happened to, it's a small island, right? It's an 11 mile wide island from one end to the other. And it's a three mile wide base. So everybody knows everybody. It's small town to the max. So he knew about this guy. And really early on, he had a lot of questions. And that was his thing in the beginning was just asking an uncomfortable amount of questions. And it was, you know, do you still talk to this guy? Well, how involved are you? Well, how serious was it? Are you in contact with him now? He wanted to know if I was still intimate with this person. It was, it was strange. I I thought it was a little bit strange. And I even said that to him. I said, you know, this is a little weird. And immediately, and this is what he would do in the beginning. If I would bring up, Hey, I don't like this. Hey, this is weird. He would back off and go, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've just had some bad experiences and I just want to make sure that if we're doing this, that it's, it's just me in the picture. I had been cheated on at that point in my life. So I was like, Oh, of course I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to come off as defensive and I would immediately back down typically. Did he elaborate on some of the issues that he had faced in previous relationships? Later on, after I had left the island, yeah, he had told me, he told me he had been cheated on in every single other relationship that he had been in. And that it even resorted to him cheating on them as retaliation for them cheating on him, which again, in retrospect, was one of the first red flags. You know, revenge cheating to me always seems like such a red flag. Once you moved away, how did things change between the two of you? At first, again, he was still playing the dream boyfriend. He would, from an ocean away, mind you, he was halfway on the other side of the planet. I was back stateside in the Southwest and he still would send me flowers randomly. He would still, he would call me throughout the day. He wanted to talk all the time. He wanted to stay in contact. He wanted to to keep the passion alive. We, we didn't even know each other at this point. Right. So we were still getting to know each other and he wanted to know everything about me. He wanted to video chat with my parents. He wanted to video chat with my baby sister who was six at the time. You know, he was super, super, super involved with my life. He was super loyal and caring. He was very protective you know, and I really thought that after such an abusive childhood that I had found my knight in shining armor. He was my fairy tale. He was great in the beginning. When you moved in with your family and he was interested in talking to them and you know, video chatting with them, what did they think of him? He's a little bit older than you. What were their thoughts? Well, I couldn't tell you what they actually thought of him at the time, because at the time, my parents wouldn't really share with me their honest opinion. They knew how much, because again, I was still seeking any validation anywhere I could. So I had reconnected with my dad and my stepmom and I wanted their validation. I wanted them to approve of me and everything that I did. And um, they knew that if they didn't necessarily like this guy who I was absolutely head over heels for at the time, 
that I probably wouldn't react too well to it. And they didn't want to push me away. So at the time, he's great. He's cool. Even though my stepmom, whatever her mouth doesn't say, her face does. So I knew maybe she wasn't his biggest fan, but she would not tell me. I I do know now, because my dad and I have had a lot of conversations about it since, that they immediately, especially my dad, who is also prior military, felt like this guy immediately was, I think he used the word reconnaissance. He was immediately running reconnaissance. He was spending an unusual amount of time trying to identify my influences and how he could make himself an ally to my influences. He made it seem like he just wanted to get to know them, but he wanted to know how much influence they had over what I thought and what I did. And that immediately raised red flags to my dad, who, of course, has always been very protective of his children. How soon after you moved did you notice red flags? Pretty quickly. You know, I I left the island in November of 2016. And by around February or March of 2017, when I was in my first semester of college, the cracks started to show pretty quickly. I was going to school about 40 minutes away from where I was living with my parents. And the school was in a really not good area of town. It's notorious, honestly, throughout the U.S. for how high the crime rate is if that can tell you anything. And I was having to walk all over campus and the campus stretched across miles. And sometimes you had to leave campus in order to get to another part of campus. And I was really nervous about walking alone. And my dad had suggested adding me to our family tracker app. It's called Life360. I totally recommend it. In spite of all of this, I still totally recommend it. That way, you know, if I ever felt unsafe, I could call him and say, Hey dad, there's some weird dudes near me. Can you just stay on the phone with me? Keep an eye on my location just in case something happens. This gave me a ton of peace of mind. At the same time, we added the man who would become my stalker to it. He had expressed a desire to wanting to be added to the family circle so that he could also keep an eye on me for his peace of mind because, you know, he's halfway around the world. He can't do a whole lot to protect me. So at least he could keep an eye on me. And Honest to God, Jamie, I thought nothing of it at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. The rest of us are on it. Why shouldn't he be? The app was really what kind of started to kick things off. And it started out really, really, really small, little innocuous things. It started with, oh, I saw you made it to school. Okay. I never told him I had made it to school. He just was just watching me. Pretty soon it was turning into, you know, hey, it normally takes you X amount of minutes to get from this building to this building. Why did it take you a little longer than usual? What were you doing? Because I had stopped to talk to a classmate in between classes. Then it was, oh, I saw you went to the library. I don't even know how he knew the layout of my campus because Life360 does not show you what these buildings are called. All of the buildings are named. He didn't know what they were called. So that meant he had to take the time to look at my location and compare it to a campus map and find the overlap and start putting names to these buildings. And he would say, I saw you went to the library. Who are you with? Even if I wasn't with anybody. And I would tell him I wasn't with anybody and he wouldn't believe me. 
that was what first started rubbing me the wrong way. But again, you know, he would be quick to explain his past and what he'd been through and make me feel a little guilty for accusing him of ulterior motives. And when I actually started pushing back and it started causing arguments, he would remind me that he just didn't want to be cheated on again. And if I wasn't doing anything wrong, I had nothing to be defensive about. He was always paranoid about me cheating. This was an ongoing issue within our relationship from start to finish. Though I had never given him any indication that that was who I was, it was always an issue. And around the time I realized, oh crap, this is bad. Something's wrong here was when he found a homemade porn video of a woman who I'm not even kidding. She had to have been 10, 15 years older than me and probably about 30 pounds heavier. And he claimed, he swore as a matter of fact, he informed me that this was a video of me cheating on him. And his justification was because this was a woman who had large breasts and wore gold jewelry. And I have large breasts and wear gold jewelry. That was his justification. That was the entire basis of the argument. And as a result of this, the only thing that would convince him that it was not me, even though I I pointed out her facial features, I pointed out her build was different than mine. I pointed out that she was older than me. None of that mattered. What it required me doing was sitting down with him, dumping all of my jewelry out of my jewelry box onto the floor and showing him on video chat every single piece of jewelry I owned to verify that the jewelry that the woman in the video was wearing wasn't in my closet. That was the only way to convince him. And at that point, I started to get angry. I started to push back really hard. Why would you ever accuse me of something like this? Why, not only why are you accusing me of cheating, but how can you accuse me of cheating and posting a video of it on the internet for the world to see? I thought he was out of his mind. Honestly, I thought he was a little, a, a little out of his mind. And any, and I, I told him that. And his response was, you wouldn't be so upset if you weren't doing anything wrong. And that was the first time I actually tried to end the relationship. And in this particular occasion, when I tried to end things, his response was, I knew you were cheating. You'd have no reason to leave me unless there was somebody else. And I don't know why I felt the need to stay with him to prove that I wasn't cheating, but it worked. It kept me there. One of my goals for the new year was to save money so I could travel more. And when I looked through my bank account, I couldn't believe how much I was spending at restaurants. But also, I hate grocery shopping. So what's a girl to do? Well, I found Thrive Market. They have all the grocery and household things I need, and I don't even have to leave my house. I order online, it's shipped super fast right to my door. And best of all, as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. I saved $56 on my last order, and on average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily to save even more money. They carry brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods, and the filters on their website make it really easy to find exactly what I need. My favorite is their Buy It Again button. I had to stock up on the organic dark chocolate-covered hazelnuts I ordered a couple weeks ago because, well, they're just too good not to keep on hand. 
And when you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-on-one membership matching program. So you join, they give. It doesn't get any better than that. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash strictlystalking so they know we sent you, and you'll get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash strictlystalking. One more time for the people in the back. Thrivemarket.com slash strictlystalking. Strictly Stalking is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey guys, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? Well, guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. Just enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you. And it's so fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to try the name your price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. How did his behavior continue to escalate? The months went on and on top of watching my movements pretty obsessively on this app, he was working round the clock to find other ways to manipulate my behavior in order to make it easier for him to track not only where I was going, but everything I was doing while I was there. Something in the beginning, as I said, you know, he was very involved with my life. And in the beginning, it was very sweet. He wanted to be on video chat or on the phone or messaging on Messenger. Messenger was our, this is important, Messenger was our app of choice. So all of our video calls and all of our texting occurred over Messenger. I would typically sleep through the night with him on video chat with me. He was watching me sleep all night long. And initially it was, I know it sounds creepy now. (laughs) Initially it was, it'll be like I'm laying in bed next to you. And then I would wake up, I would get ready for the day. And here was my vanity and here was my phone. And he was watching me get ready for the day. I would hang that up and immediately, as soon as I got in my vehicle to drive the 40 minutes, I would call him and he would stay on the phone with me the whole way there. And then I would hang up the phone to go to class and I would text him throughout class in between classes, the the however many minutes it took me to walk to class. I was on the phone with him and then texting him between class or texting him during class, excuse me. And then I would call him on the 10, 15 minute walk between my last class and my campus job. And then call him again on my drive home from work. And then I'd have a few hours to eat and spend some time with my family. I had maybe three, four hours to eat and spend time with my family. And then around seven o'clock at night, he would call me and then he'd, he'd want to be on the phone with me for the rest of the night and then sit with me while I slept. I, I mean, we were probably on video chat or on a phone call, probably 10 to 12 hours out of the day while I was conscious 
And then the eight hours while I was sleeping and we were texting constantly throughout the day. And this was great at first because we were in a long distance relationship. How else were we supposed to stay connected? But within the first four to six months, this treatment became a requirement. This became a schedule. And if I didn't stick to it rigorously, it would become a fight and the fight would become an accusation of cheating. If I was in a rush or I was preoccupied or I just didn't want to call him, it would trigger a fight. And each time I would refuse a video chat, he would demand that I send a picture of myself to show where I was. And if I I wasn't willing to do that either, then that would trigger a fight. Did you have any time for extracurricular activities, friends? I mean, it's your first year in college. Were you doing anything else? I had no social life. You know, I, I had my campus job and that was the most social interaction I had outside of my immediate family that I lived with. And even though I lived with my family during that time, he would give me so little time to spend with them without him there. Even if I wanted to spend time with them instead of being on a video chat with him to watch a movie, he wanted me to call him and be on the phone with him and have the phone next to me while we were watching a movie. You know, I, I did not go to a single college party. I did not go and hang out with friends. Even one time I was occasionally permitted (laughs) outings with my family because he had a relationship with my family and He was certain that my family wasn't going to let me do anything that I wasn't supposed to be doing. But even that became really rare as time went on. So by the summer of 2017, we had escalated really quickly. He had become obsessive of every single moment of my day between the app and the calling schedule. He knew every activity I performed from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed. He knew what position I slept in. And looking back, I had really, I had handed him access to all of this. As a matter of fact, upon his demand, I gave him access to all of my login info for all of my social media accounts, even my email and even my banking information, you know, and what had begun as these sweet little ways to stay connected over an ocean had turned into a full-blown cyber chokehold. But it wasn't until August of 2017 that I actually started to get a little bit scared. During my summer semester, I was waiting outside my math class with all of the other students. The professor was running late. We were waiting to be led into class. And I get a call from the Messenger app. And I answer, he almost immediately demands to know where I am. I told him where I was. Of course, you know, hey, I'm I'm waiting outside to go into class. And his response, absolutely, it just made my stomach drop. He said, no, you're not. Your class is in the M building. And the room number is blah, blah, blah. You're in the apartments behind the M building. So what are you doing? I had never told him what building my class was in. I hadn't even told him the professor's name. To this day, I I don't know how he figured out where all of my classes were. He knew where all of my classes were. He knew the professor's names. He knew the building and the room number of all of my classes. But my initial reaction was to defend myself. And I completely overlooked that factor that I never told him where my class was. 
and that the tracking app was not that specific. It turns out the tracking app is only accurate within one to two blocks. So, you know, it can, I can be standing physically right here, but it can say that I'm standing across the street. Of course, I I told him that and he absolutely refused. He refused to believe that because that's not possible, he said. And he started demanding that I called him. But at that point, I was, I was, I had my butt in class and I was trying to focus. When I refused to call him, he demanded a picture. When I refused again, he started calling back to back. And this was when he would start to hold my phone hostage and it wouldn't stop ringing even long enough for me to text him, stop calling me. It would go ring, ring, ring. The call would end ring, ring, and it would just ring and ring and ring one call after another. And by this point, I am having a panic attack. I'm having a full-blown panic attack trying to pay attention and stop this phone assault that I'm under. Finally, I, I actually had to excuse myself. I had to leave class to take the call and go out there and try to talk him down. And it sparked an argument that lasted the rest of the day and well into the night. To this day, the sound of a messenger ringtone, even if it's not on my phone, still gives me panic attacks. Because of this, I I had my phone glued to me every second of the day. I could not have it more than out of arm's reach. And I was so afraid of what would happen if I didn't pick up because no, he wasn't, he wasn't hitting me. He wasn't physically hurting me. He wasn't even threatening to harm me yet, but he would, if I didn't answer these calls, if I didn't comply, he would berate me and interrogate me for hours on end, sometimes keeping me up through the night to question me. You know, and no matter how I tried to defend myself or fight back, eventually I would always, I would always end up relenting because I was too physically and emotionally exhausted to do anything, but just give him what he wanted. You know, it was full-blown psychological warfare. You know, I, I remember one time he would actually let me fall asleep and then wake me up to fight with me again, and then let me fall asleep and then wake me up again. I tried to break up with him one more time. during the course of the summer when things really started to escalate. But each time he was able to convince me that this was just part of a long distance relationship. And if we could just make it through this, everything would be okay. What was his plan for the future? Was he planning to move to you? Did he think you were going to move back to him? We did have a visiting schedule where we would see each other every three to six months. By that point, I had only I'd seen him once during the winter. He had come to see me. And then I had seen him once in the spring of 2017. I went to see him on the island. That was one of the points where he tried to convince me to drop out of college and go back and move on the island to live with him. It was always his plan that he would marry me and that I would follow him to his next duty station. So when he would get stationed back stateside, he wanted me to move with him. Him moving to where I was, was, was never even discussed. And the excuse was always, well, I have to go where the military tells me to. And that, that piece at the very least was true. You know, we don't, we don't get a choice where we get stationed, but it was always his intention, always his plan to pack me up and move me wherever he was. And when he didn't want to wait, 
until he got stationed back stateside, he started becoming increasingly insistent on me dropping out of college and moving back in with him. What were the in-person visits like? In the beginning, they were great. You know, he would shower me with affection and he would take me out on dates and try to make up for lost time. But as time went on, the visits started getting more tumultuous too. Because in the beginning, he would convince me that the only reason we were fighting so much is because we were so far away from each other. And, you know, long distance takes its toll on everybody. And then when we see each other, it'll be great. But by the summer, by the summer visit, when he came to see me, the cracks started to really show in person too. And it was an equal amounts of really high highs. Everything's perfect. We adore each other and really low lows, full blown screaming matches, him bringing up things that I had done that made him suspicious of me in the past, him going through my phone in person. But I would say it was in December of 2017 when I went out to visit him that my family actually started to be afraid for me. And this was about the time that the abuse escalated to physical. We had been together just over a year at this point. He had me alone in another country. I had nobody. And one night he had been drinking. He had a drinking problem in retrospect, and they would always dial the arguments up to 11 as if they weren't bad enough already. This was one of the rare times, though, because at this point I was so beaten down that most of the time I would just relent. But this was one rare time where I kind of I kind of reared up and tried to fight back. And when he saw that I wasn't backing down, he started to get really agitated. And he said he was going to leave and go for a drive. And he went to reach for his keys. And I grabbed his keys and I said, you are welcome to leave but you're drunk and I'm not going to let you drive drunk. I'm not going to let you go out there, hurt yourself, hurt somebody else and ruin your career. So if you leave, you're leaving on foot. But I in no way tried to keep him there. I just wasn't going to let him drive, right? And he told me he was standing about 15 feet away from me. I was in front of the front door and he told me, give me my fucking keys. And when I didn't, Suddenly, from 15 feet away, I had a six foot three, 200 pound bodybuilder. Mind you, I'm, I was 4'11 and 135 pounds at this point, And he is rushing me. And he chases me into the bathroom where I slam the door on him and I lock the door while he is standing on the other side of this door, screaming at me to give him his fucking keys. And he is pounding his fists on the door. And at that point, I'm just, I'm clutching these keys to my chest and I climb in the bathtub and just sink into the bathtub. And it was one of the rare moments where I look, it was almost like an out-of-body experience looking at my life and going, holy fuck, how did I end up here? And I just sat and prayed that he didn't decide to break down the door. Blessedly, we were in a hotel, so he didn't break down the door and he eventually left on foot. But this was after 45 minutes, an hour of him pounding on the door. And I spent half the night in the bathroom hiding from him. I was in an absolute pit of despair at this point, you guys. I was, I didn't, my life was upside down. I was upside down and in knots and I didn't know what to do. And my dad is my best friend. My dad was the person I trusted more than anything. My dad was my, and my dad ended up being my savior in all of this. I called him and I I had been crying. I had been bawling all morning and He kept asking me about how my visit was and how we were doing. And I was obviously keeping it very vague and trying to tell him what was going on. But 
unable to. And what he remembers most clearly is I'm sitting there talking to him and I'm trying to smile and I'm trying to convince him everything is okay. And meanwhile, my stalker is behind me with both his hands on my shoulders. And all my dad sees is this man standing behind me with his hands on my shoulders and he's he's squeezing my shoulders and he's making it look like he's trying to comfort me through a hard time. But in reality, he wouldn't leave me alone with my dad to talk to him, frankly. Originally, I had asked him to leave so that I could have a conversation with my dad, which he agreed to. But then at the last moment, he just wouldn't leave. He said, I'll just, I'll just say hi to your dad and then I'll leave. He just would not leave. And that was all my dad remembered. And he would tell me later, much later, that when he got off the phone with me, my stepmom had to beg him not to get on a plane to come and get me, to find me. He didn't even know where on the island I was, but he had to have my mom talk him down to keep him from flying over to get me out of there before I got hurt or killed. What he didn't know was that same day, shortly after I got off that call with him, was the first time that my stalker hit me. It was the first time he actually physically laid his hands on me. How did things end when you left that visit? Somehow, even, even with everything that happened, we had still patched it over. But I actually ended up finding out shortly after that visit, the guy that had been accusing me for the last year of cheating on him, had I, it turned out he had actually cheated on me. And I found that out shortly after I left from that visit, where he told me that he had cheated on me not only once, but twice. I have to tell you guys about Noom. Noom is a personalized weight loss program I've been using that fits my lifestyle. It's not restrictive, and it helps me lose weight while still enjoying my favorite foods. I didn't even have to give up carbs. The program helps me understand the science behind my eating choices and why I have cravings. It's even been helping me overcome stress eating. Everyone's journey is different, and Noom knows that everyone has unique biological factors which also affect weight loss success. Noom is helping me build healthier routines, and I'm feeling better overall. Join me and the over 5.2 million people that Noom has helped lose weight. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash stalking. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash stalking. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, Strictly Stalking fans, it's your favorite podcast host. I'm Jamie. And I'm Jake. We've got something special for our most dedicated listeners. That's right. Our Patreon community is the place to be for exclusive Strictly Stalking content. Imagine diving into ad-free episodes earlier than everyone else and getting an extra episode every single month only for our Patreon community. But that's not all. You get to vote on the episodes we create. Your voice, your choice. And for some members, we're sending out exclusive Strictly Stalking merchandise. Plus, we might even mention your name on the show. It's our way of saying thanks for being such a crucial part of our journey. So be sure to join us at patreon.com slash strictly stalking. That's patreon.com slash strictly stalking. Let's make this community even more thrilling together. See you there. When you got home and you found out that he had cheated on you, how did things continue in the relationship? We, it renewed the fighting to a whole new level. He gave me 101 reasons why it had happened. 
It was because I was depressed all the time and I wasn't giving him enough attention. Ironically, I wasn't giving him enough attention. It was because he just knew that I was cheating on him and he had to get back at me. And he just had to do something to make himself feel better. We were fighting all the time. And then came the point where he told me that my family was now the issue in our relationship and that they were they were driving a wedge between us. And I don't know how he sold me on that or how I sold myself on this. But then the next thing I knew, he was convincing me to actually move out of my parents' house and in with my college roommate. And my roommate was, and still is, a badass. You know, she was a super independent woman. She did what she wanted. You know, she came and went as she pleased. She did not ask anybody's permission for anything. Effectively, she was the opposite of what I had become and what my stalker had turned me into. And her involvement ultimately was what led to the events that would lead to me finally getting out. I would say the final straw really came only a few weeks after I had moved in with her. And she asked me if I wanted to go to a burger joint with her aunt and her cousin. And mind you, normally before up to that point, whenever I went anywhere, I had to call my stalker and I had to tell them who I was with, where I was going and how long we'd be there. But today, for whatever reason, I, I just decided not to, you know, I, I started to crave independence the moment I moved in with my roommate. I started to see how I used to be before I met my stalker. We were less than a mile away from the house before my phone started ringing. And I immediately picked up, as I was supposed to, picked up, where are you? Again, don't ask me how he immediately knew that I had left the residency, but he did. I said, I'm going to go eat dinner with my roommate and her family, I told him. And... He told me, I, you know, you didn't ask me if I was okay with you doing that. You need to go home. (laughs) I actually laughed because there was no way that he was serious. And I told him, I said, it's just a bite to eat. And I'm not, I'm not even driving. And I'm not going to ask her cousin to turn us around just to drop me off at home just because you're not okay with it. And my, (laughs) my stomach dropped. And when he says to me, turn around and go home right now, or things are going to get really bad for you. And after a few minutes of arguing, we pulled up to the restaurant. I hung up the phone and I silenced my phone. 10, 15 minutes later, we're sitting in the restaurant and someone taps me on the shoulder. I turn around and it's the manager of the restaurant. And he absolutely looks like, poor guy, he looked like he wanted to be anywhere but talking to me. And he looks at me and he goes, excuse me, I'm, I'm so sorry, but some guy claiming to be your husband just called and told me to give you a message. He says to tell you that you'd better get back home before he calls the cops on you. That right there was the moment where I realized I was being full-blown stalked because when I had turned off my phone, it disabled my location services. But right before I turned it off, I don't know. He was still able to find the restaurant that I was at, call them from overseas, describe to them what I looked like and have them relay a message. I pull out my phone and I'm looking at dozens of texts and missed calls. And immediately I I go out to the parking lot and I call him and we proceed to have a 45 minute screaming match in the middle of the parking lot. And 
after some back and forth, he just stops and he goes completely cold, like this absolutely freakishly emotionless tone. And he says, you better hurry home before the cops get there because I'm going to tell them all about your friend's drugs. My roommate liked to smoke a little bit of pot. She was a nurse or she was a nurse tech. She had a hard job and she liked to smoke pot occasionally. And immediately I, I am on an adrenaline high. I am dialed up to 11 and we are rushing back to the house as quickly as we can, hoping to meet the cops at the edge of the property before he could wake up her elderly parents who lived in another building on the property. When we get there, the cops aren't even there, but I call my stalker back for round two of this argument about why in the hell would you call the cops on me just for leaving the house without your permission? And again, with this creepy, calm, cold tone, he says, why do you make me do this? Why do I have to hurt you to make you listen to me? Now, I knew just enough about abusive relationships at that point to know that that line is like abuser 101. It took the cops an embarrassingly long time to actually finally show up at the house. They saw that I was, it was, it was a wellness check, you know? And once they saw that I was safe, sane and sober, you know, they left without incident. But that was the night that I knew that I, I, I had to get out. And about a week later, mind you, I had tried four previous times to break things off. About a week later, I finally ended things for good. How did he take it? It was almost like he knew I was ending things and I meant it this time. He turned into the devil himself. He called me over a hundred times in the space of less than an hour. He spent the day threatening to show up where I lived. He threatened to come and take my service dog from me. And he even threatened to show up and have me gang raped. He spent some time terrorizing me, but eventually my roommate looked at me and said, stop picking up the phone, which was a revelation for me. I had been so trained to pick up the phone for the last year and a half that it was a revelation to me. Oh, I can just not pick up the phone. But once I stopped picking up the phone, he started terrorizing my roommate and my roommate's family. He had my login info, as I said, and before I had the opportunity to lock him out of it, he found their information on social media and he started texting them and he started sending disgusting messages to all of them, threatening to show up and pay them a visit, pay me a visit. He was accusing every single one of her family members of sleeping with me. He would threaten to show up and show them what the military had trained him to do. And I felt so guilty putting other people through what I was going through to the point where I was just, I started to withdraw from them and I started to avoid them as much as possible because I just, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, if he does it to me, fine, I'm used to it at this point. But stalking them, they didn't do anything to deserve it except encourage me to stand up for myself. In desperation, I, I actually ended up reaching back out to my dad and uh, just begging him for help because I, I, I didn't feel like I could go to the cops. What was I going to tell them? I'm being stalked from halfway around the world. My dad gave him a, a formal do not contact order 
stating he wasn't allowed to contact me or anybody else associated with me. He said, you know, if you need anything, if you need to talk about anything, if there's any property you have, then you go through me. And my dad was willing to take the fire for it. He had to resort to threatening to report my stalker to his chain of command. At that point, his career was already on the rocks. He was already being threatened with military action for other reasons. So he was, he was actually, he was pretty quick to comply and it would actually end up being a very long time before I heard from him again, probably about four and a half years. Once he finally stopped stalking you, did you feel that that was going to be the end or were you in constant fear? I was in constant fear. Honestly, Jimmy, to this day, there is always a fear of him deciding to come back around. I will always wonder and worry. And to this day, both my father and I keep track of him, keep tabs on him. We, you know, we kind of stalk the stalker because I will never believe that he has changed or that he's not a threat. And he did actually reach out one more time. Can you tell us about that? He did, actually. There was a period of time before the last time I heard from him where I was like, I guess I'll never hear from him again. Thank God. And then in the fall of 2022, I finally ended things in March of 2018. And in 2022, four and a half years after the relationship ended, I was just laying in bed one day and the phone started ringing and that damn messenger ring hit me. And I just, I went to tears. I immediately, I had a full-blown panic attack. And of course I I was not picking up that phone. I was not going to pick up the call. So he actually called my dad and I just thought that that was the most bizarre thing. And what did he say when he talked to your dad? He said something about he had gotten into therapy and that he had gotten a diagnosis. He didn't elaborate on what that meant, but I've got a pretty good idea of what he got diagnosed with. And he said that he just wanted to call and make amends and apologize for everything that he had put me through. And, um, you know, my dad told him what is in the past needs to stay in the past and you need not to contact her. You know, she wants absolutely nothing to do with you. And then he called me and relayed the message. And I said, I have absolutely no intention or desire to reach back and have that conversation with him. Do you think that he did get help? I know during the course of the relationship, he would claim that he was in therapy. And he would say that his therapist had told him that I'm the problem. That was one of the tactics that he had used on me. So honestly, when he said he was in therapy, it's like, okay, great. Stay that way. I don't know, maybe because after that incident, I never heard from him again. And I have not heard from him since. And that was in the fall of 22. So maybe we can only hope. What do you want people to know about your story? What have you learned that you want to share with other people? First of all, I, I want people to know I have done a ton of therapy since this happened for events that transpired then and also, you know, for my abusive childhood, I will always live with what happened. There will always be scars from it, but I have refused to be a victim to it. I I don't call myself a victim. I call myself a survivor because, and this is what I would want anybody who's going through this right now to know, I survived it and you can survive it. 
And your only job during this whole ordeal is to survive it. You do not need to be embarrassed of anything you say or do in order to survive it. Your only job is to survive. This experience made an impenetrable bond between me and my family. Like I said, my my dad, who had a front row seat for this entire ordeal, he and I have an absolutely unbreakable bond in part because of this, because he never gave up on me. He never walked away from me. And that's something else that people need to know. Nobody gets through this completely by themselves, whether it's your family or the police or a support group or therapist, everybody needs help to get through this. If not to get through the events, then to get through dealing with the trauma, because it takes, it shaves away pieces of you over time. It takes, it strips away your identity. It strips away your independence. It strips away your sense of self. It even strips away that tiny little voice inside of you, your little Jiminy Cricket telling you something's not right. It takes that away and you can get it back, but you need help to do it. I think the last big thing that I would really want people to know other than, you know, listen to your instincts. Looking back, there were 101 signs. There were so many times where this, huh, that's kind of strange, should have been a huge red flag for me. But again, I was so young at that time and I didn't have great instincts. And I want people to know the signs are there. People will show you who they are and believe them. Believe that it's not nothing. It's something. It may not be stalking. It may not be abuse, but that doesn't mean it's good. And listen to your instincts. And anybody that tries to tell you that your instincts are wrong, that you're mentally ill because your instincts are telling you something's wrong, anybody that tells you that you need to move away from the people that love you in order to make your relationship work, something is wrong, majorly wrong. How important is it for you to now share your story? It's so important to me now because I've done so much healing because I have found my way to a healthy, happy life and healthy, happy love. I've, you know, for the first time in my life, I actually am in a healthy, happy relationship with somebody who actually really supported me in doing this and going through this journey of telling my story for the first time. And it's important to me because I so wish when I was going through this, that maybe I had been listening to this podcast or a podcast like it that I had been hearing a story that sounded even a little bit like mine and gone, is that what this is? I don't know if it would have made a difference for me. I don't know if it'll make a difference for anybody else. But if it helps even one person, that means something to me. And it also means something to me because I think as a survivor of DV, when you come out the other end of it, it's really easy to minimize it and to make it seem like it wasn't, maybe that wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe I'm conflating it in my head. Maybe it really didn't really happen like that. And, you know, you get, that's the, the double-edged sword of, of recovery from domestic violence and from mental illnesses. You start to think, oh, maybe it, it wasn't that bad. This is me standing in front of people and saying, this happened to me and it's happening to people and it's real and it's valid. And yes, you can be stalked not only by somebody that you know, but by somebody that you're romantically involved with, not just an ex, 
you know, I, I had never heard of a story of somebody being stalked by their significant other, but it did. It happened to me. And it was something he used to abuse me. Stalking was a form of abuse in my case. And it was so important to me to get that out and to show people it can happen and it does. Sam, thank you so much for your encouraging words and your remarkable story. Thank you. Thank you guys for forgiving me and forgiving other survivors the space to to talk about this and, and to allow us to make this real for us. Thank you so much, Sam. If anyone out there is in need of help or a victim of stalking, please reach out. You can find a list of resources on our Instagram at Strictly Stalking Pod. If you'd like to share your story with us on Strictly Stalking, you can reach us at strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. That's strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. As a listener of Strictly Stalking, please leave a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. I'm Jake Deptula. And I'm Jamie Beebe. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Strictly Stalking. On February 4th, The Minds of Madness is set to release an investigative four-part series centered on a cold case from nearly four decades ago. At first, it was just, my mom's gone. And then it became, you know, your mom was taken by a bad man. They found video of him killing women. If you'd ever watched any uh, episodes of Breaking Bad, that's exactly what you would see. He buried these 11 women and kept going out there. He made a road going out there. You got this dude saying, hey, I'm going to show your family these pictures. And, like, he's secretly taping her. The cops don't care. We're nothing to them. Dumped her like a piece of garbage, you know? I don't see anything that screams there's two people doing this. I never thought anything was going to come of this case. Ever. Listen to the Minds of Madness series, Who Killed Jennifer, starting February 4th, wherever you get your podcasts. Dive into crime on Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries on shows like CSI and Criminal Minds. Or follow the clues in Blue Bloods and NCIS. With thousands of free crime movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app and start streaming now on live channels and on demand. You better run for your life. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.